let's cultivate our motivation. Uh, do you ever think when you are reading a text or studying a text that the Indian or Tibetan sages who wrote it had you in mind and had a mind of compassion and love wanting you to learn the Dharma so you could free yourself and help free others. So to what extent are we really aware of the author and the motivation of the author and the motivation of the Buddha who gave the teachings to start with? And to what extent do we uh, tune in to their compassion for us? So when we think like this, we see that, you know, there's so many Buddhas and Bodhisattvas around, so many sentient beings around, so much love and compassion around us that we often just don't notice because we're too wrapped up in our old stories and in ruminating about being lonely, not treated fairly, etc., etc., So what happens when we shift our perspective to see what's actually there instead of dreaming up more videos to play during our pity party? So let's try to have a mind like these sages with compassion for other living beings and to listen to the teachings and put them into practice because we care about all the other beings that we will encounter in this life, in futures lives. And so we're doing something now so that we can be of great benefit to them in the future and also now. So cultivate the bodhicitta, aiming for a full awakening for the benefit of all beings.
I'm putting on my jewelry. <laughs> okay, so this is an interesting thing to think about, you know, because we can get very wrapped up in I'm alone, nobody cares about me. Yeah, every whole world is going on. Other people are loved. Poor me, they don't acknowledge me, they don't care. Da 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 da. You know the story, yeah. And uh, yeah, we can build a lot of dramas about that, horror stories. Go round and around and around and around and think that that is reality. Yeah? And actually, it's not reality. It's our creative writing making up a garbage story that, of course, stars me. And then uh, we get involved in our story and just think about me, 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 me. Yeah. We go to do, re, me, 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 me. We don't get any further than me. (laughs) Yeah. And we make ourselves totally miserable, you know. But when you, you really look around, there's a lot of people you know, who care about us. And you might say, but, yes, but, our famous two words, yes, but, okay, Shanti gave gave the teaching, Buddha gave the teaching, you say they care about me, but they didn't know me. So they didn't do this just for me. They did it for all sentient beings. So again, I just don't count. Yeah, they have to do it for me, only me. You know, only when somebody cares about me and nobody else are they being kind. I can see that this is hitting home a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, it's got to be focused on me for it actually to be true care and concern. Nobody else can be involved. Yeah. So we're all kind of stuck in the only child syndrome. (laughs) You ever hear of that syndrome? Yeah, no? Yeah, that's because you're an only child. (laughs) But you can tell are only childs. Only children. (laughs) Yeah? You can tell. And we each have our own inner only child syndrome. (laughs) You know, it's got to be about me. Not my siblings. Not the pets. Not anybody else. Me. What a wonderful way to make ourselves miserable and to be blind to the kindness that's around us. Yeah. 
And then we don't use our own talents and our own abilities because we're spending our time feeling sorry for ourselves or getting angry. You know, feeling sorry and getting angry, they're, they're, they're two sides of the same coin. Yeah. And yet, Shanti Deva is asking my mother's question. Just who do you think you are? Except he's not saying it in that tone of voice. But, you know, who do we think we are? There's this real person here. Real person. Me! Unique me who conforms to the whole way everybody around me is acting, but I conform in a very unique way because I'm special. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, we really dig ourselves into a hole there, don't we? Yeah. And then we decorate our hole yeah, with big banners that say, the world is so mean. Yeah. yeah right? No. What happens when nobody pays attention to you? Yeah. That's not the only thing. She went like this. That's not the only thing. What do you do when you feel you're not getting enough attention? You stop looking at attention. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what do you do? I power power over people. You power over people, okay. over people and try to remind people who's in charge. Uh, <laughs> you have to remind them? <laughs> they well, when sh- I'm not getting attention, I do. But oh. usually I don't have to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they know who's in charge. <laughs> okay, so let's... Here, we, we just finished the whole section about doing the exchange, you know, Exchanging ourselves with somebody who's less than us and feeling jealous of our old self. Exchanging with somebody who's equal and competing and exchanging with somebody who is better than us, looking down on other people, looking down on ourselves. Yeah. Okay, so this is a very interesting kind of of thing to to do. And it really gives us some clue about maybe why some people don't like us so much. Yeah, because we always don't have such great ideas about other people. Yeah. Okay, so we're done with that section. Right? Yeah, you don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, it's in your notes. Now you can forget it. <laughs> okay. So let's, we'll start with 157, where we left off last time. If in the past I had practiced 
this act of exchanging self for others, a situation such as this, devoid of the magnificence and bliss of a Buddha, could not possibly have come about. Okay, so if I had practiced exchanging myself with others in the past, I wouldn't be in the present situation I am. Yeah, I would be a Buddha already, okay, and have the magnificent joy and happiness of a fully awakened one. But instead, because we've thought only of ourselves, yeah, we're still in samsara, still thinking only of ourselves. Yeah, it's like a broken record. Okay, so we would not possibly have been in this situation if we had acted and thought differently in in the previous lives. 158, therefore, just as I have come to hold as I these drops of sperm and egg of others, likewise, through acquaintance, I should also come to regard all others. Okay, so our body, which we think is mine, or sometimes we think our body is me. Okay, I got hurt. It's like we're thinking our body is me. Yeah. Or this is mine. The owner, yeah, the proud owner of a pink thermos. <laughs> okay. So what is this based on, you know, all this I? It's based on things that are not us, okay? The sperm and egg of our parents and all the food we've eaten since then. And none of that belonged to us, did it? Yeah. It was given to us by others, but we regard it now as I and mine. Yeah. And cling on to it. Hold on to it. Yeah. Don't you make fun of me. But who who's the me? I mean, aside from the the egg and the sperm and the and the food. Yeah and a mind stream, who, who is getting made fun of? Yeah. Who is getting left out? Who is unappreciated? Yeah. To really look and, and see if we can find that person. Because hmm? all we find when we look, you know, the basis of designation of I is stuff that belonged to other people, you know, with our body and our mind, the previous life. Yeah. So what Chandideva is saying here is if I can regard things from other people as I, then I can certainly regard other sentient beings and their sperm and blood and food and so on as I, because it's just as other from me as 
you know, my parents' sperm and egg and, and all the food. Yeah? So if we can take one set of, of stuff that isn't me and claim it as me, then we could take other things. Yeah? So he, Santideva is not encouraging us to dissociate here and, um, you know, uh, think that we are going to jump into somebody else's body and take control of them. What, what he's doing is trying to stretch our mind, yeah, so that the way we relate to our, the own, the basis of designation upon which we label, designate I, you know, that we loosen that a little bit, yeah, and then realize, oh, you know, there's nothing really me about this body. There's nothing really me about this mind, yeah. Yeah, me is just a name, a term in there. Yeah, that was given based on the conception, the mind conceiving, putting these pieces together. Yeah, and so you know, loosening that that idea of who I am helps us see that other sentient beings are important because we lessen the focus just on us. Yeah? Makes some sense? Well, it makes very good sense. Do you want to practice it? No. <laughs> okay, so likewise, through acquaintance, I should, I should also come to regard all others. You know, a good way to start with this is, um, okay, some of you who were here several years ago, we did this exercise of giving up uh, one of our most cherished possessions, and we brought them all together, and then somebody who wasn't us could pick pick out what it was. And at first... Uh, somebody else took our most treasured possession, yeah, and we're looking at it, and it's actually theirs now, but we look at it and we say, it's mine. Okay, so that's a good example, you know. Uh, we get so used to uh, designating mine on something that even we give it away, yeah, even you sell it, the mind still thinks mine. Yeah. And so if somebody, you know, you have your, your oh, it, we're coming to changing rooms time. So you have your special blankie. Yeah, everybody have your blankie on your bed. Yeah, your blankie, your pillow, maybe the little rug that you put at the base of your bed so when you step off out of your bed, your precious feet don't get cold. Yeah. And then you change rooms and you have to leave your blanket and 
your pillow and your rug behind and the whole room behind and then you get you have to move into another room with somebody else's blanket that has cooties yeah I'm still not quite sure what cooties are, except you definitely don't want them. Okay? You have to move into somebody else's room, so you've got to clean everything. And then, you know, your room, you left the blanket for somebody else because you don't have cooties, so they don't need to clean your old blanket in your ex-room. But you're moving into somebody else's room, and they have cooties, so now all of a sudden, in the monastery, we have to wash everything. Yeah. Because we can't move into somebody else's room, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, you're going to move, or somebody's going to move from having Karuna's fur on them to move move and have my trees for on them. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You know, whose cat fur do you want on you? (laughs) So, yeah. But just look, watch how the whole idea of I and mine gets put on different things and different people. You know, my friend my child, my parents, my house, my bank account. Oh, that's the big one. Okay, my car. You scratched my car. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. And just watch how, you know, how we... You scratch this car, but you don't scratch that car. So, you know, when you scratch my car, it's a big deal. When you scratch somebody else's car, it's not a big deal. Unless you bought their car and then you scratched it. Yeah. But then you say, I didn't scratch it, it came this way. <laughs> okay. So just, just look at how, how those, those words go and how uh, our mind uh, relates to things, you know. And this is what uh, the war in Ukraine is over. There's some dirt, and are we going to call that dirt Ukraine or Russia? That's basically what it boils down to. Yeah, isn't it? What are we going to call that dirt? But then we human beings put a lot more on top of it. That's not just any old dirt. That's where my ancestors have lived, you know, since we were all Neanderthal. So this is all my dirt. Yeah. What, what is your dirt about, you know? So interesting. I, I, when I was in uh, 
I led a retreat in uh, southern Israel once in the kibbutz in the Negev. That was right on the border with uh, Jordan. And they had the fence, and then they had, like, some dirt there that was raked with a, uh, you know, with a rake. So there were lines in it, and you could see if anybody stepped on the dirt. So if anybody from the other place was coming onto your dirt, you could see their footprints in the, in the sand there. And then I stood there, and it was a windy day, and I watched some of the sand blow from this side of the fence to the other side of the fence. Yeah? So when it was on this side, it was Israel, and then it became Jordan. And then it was Jordan, and it became Israel. Yeah? And how we get really attached to our sand. <laughs> yeah? And kill each other over what we're going to call that sand. Mm -hmm. Okay? So you, you can see here how the grasping at inherent existence, you know, feeds this very gross level of self-centeredness, of how, how something becomes mine, yeah, or something becomes I. Yeah. Or you finally get your certificate for whatever, you know, you've graduated Mickey Mouse Club, and you get a certificate but they misspell your name. Oh, dear. This is not good. Yeah. So you want to send it back and say, please spell my name correctly. This is my name. Yeah. It's so interesting, isn't it, when you look how we get attached to, to something. Mm -hmm. Or we have a certain role, and I am the team leader. So you better listen to me. Or I am not the team leader, so I don't have to do anything. <laughs> yeah? So, you know, how the conception of I is just a thought that we hold on to, you know, just makes our whole, makes us relate to everybody else and everything in our environment. Yeah. If you ever read articles about, I, I read one article once about there were, uh, two mothers who had uh, twins in the same hospital. I forget. It was in one Latin American country, I think. And the, they were both in the, had the babies around the same time. And somehow uh, the babies got mixed up so that each family was given one child that was their own and one from the other set of twins. Yeah, 
And they only found out because somebody was, uh, one twin was working uh, in a coffee shop and said, oh, you look just like so-and-so, you know, and and actually just said, called them by the name of the other one because that person happened to know. And then they found out what, what had happened. And it was a total shocker to either of them both of all four of them, because, you know, whose children were they now, especially the two that got changed, because they had grown up with the parents that they had, and it was just assumed that, you know, they weren't identical twins, they were fraternal twins, yeah, so they looked different, and, but they were both children of those parents, and so you had two sets of twins like this. And then they found out about the switch. And, and some of them, you know, it was really an identity crisis. Who is my parent? Yeah. But it's so strange when you think about it because you grow up, yeah, and you're sure of who your mom and dad are. Does it really matter if you find out later that you got switched around? Because your connection is with the parent you had, not with the parent that you didn't, that may have been your biological parent, but wasn't the, the parent you grew up with. Yeah. So it's quite interesting to think about, you know? And people who are adopted, then they want to find their biological parents. But those people, you know, aren't their parents in, in the sense of having grown up and played the role of parents. And yet you meet this person who's a total stranger and you hug them simply because somebody told you that you were actually born from them. But somebody could have told you that you were actually born from somebody over here or over there or over there. And then you would feel the same about all those other people. So it's just something in the mind. That's the point of it. Yeah. It's how we create identities and then make, you know, decide based on those identities how we're going to relate to others. Yeah. So there's nothing in it in and of itself. Yeah, yeah think about it. And okay, 159. Having thoroughly examined myself to see whether I am really working for others or not, Do I really have to examine myself and ask that question? But having done it with great courage, I shall steal whatever appears on my body and use it for the benefit of others. Okay? So, you know, when we come to see that the difference between I and others is not such a big difference. Yeah. And that then we can open our heart towards other living beings. 
then, and this is also what we want to do, we want to become bodhisattvas. If you don't want to be a bodhisattva, then don't, you know, don't listen to this teaching, you know. But if you don't want to be a bodhisattva, you should ask yourself, why not? Yeah. Because what, you know, really, what else do you want to do with your life besides become a bodhisattva? You want to be an engineer? Yeah. You want to be an artist? Yeah, you know, so many things you could be. But at the end of this life, actually, even before the end of this life, you're going to cease to be that. When you retire, you are no longer that. Yeah. But I want to be a bodhisattva. That gives you something, multiple lives. I'm not yet a bodhisattva, but I want to be. I want to go in that direction. Uh So if that's something important to your mind, yeah, then he's saying, then, you know, whatever I have, when he says whatever appears on my body, you know, means whatever I have, yeah, I should use for the benefit of others. Okay, so it doesn't mean that we give everything we have to others, because uh, if we actually give it to them, then People are going to have to take care of us because we're going to be unable to take care of ourselves. But the thing is, uh, in our practice, like when you do the mandala offering, you're giving this whole world to the Buddha. You know, when you're doing this practice, you give everything you have to others. So this is all done mentally. But, you know, if you really think about it afterwards, it can be very helpful. And uh, they encourage us, you know, you start with the mandala offering because it's easier to give to the Buddha than to give to Joe Blow, okay? Because Joe Blow may not appreciate it. Of course, you think the Buddha likes your blanket? (laughs) Yeah. Um... Yeah, does, do you think the Buddha needs all your old souvenirs that you're very attached to? Uh, no, but the thing is, we give, and that helps us relieve us from the effects of attachment, of clinging on to things that there's no possible way we could ever really possess, because whatever comes together is going to separate. Yeah, so this really helps. You know, when, uh, oh, like everybody, my computer, right? There's a big my attached to, to your computer. Yeah. For the people online, it's my phone. Yeah. We don't have phones, so we can't, yeah, you can't get attached to a phone here. But my computer, in my office, on my desk, yeah, and don't you go and use it without my permission. But we've already, we do the mandala offering how many times a day? Yeah, if you're doing six-session guru yoga, at least six times a day. You're offering your stuff to the Buddha. Yeah, so if you think 
like that. Oh, this already belongs to the Buddha. I'm just borrowing it. It's not mine. I'm borrowing it from the Buddha. And since the Buddha said, you know, the rule of things belonging to the Buddha is that they're used to benefit sentient beings. So therefore, if I'm borrowing my computer or whatever it is from the Buddha, I should use it with the motivation of bodhicitta. doesn't mean you have to give it away, but even if you're using it for yourself, then, you know, well, why, why am I eating? Why am I sleeping? Well, I have to keep this body, you know, in, in, uh, in good shape so I can practice the Dharma. Why am I practicing the Dharma? I'm a bodhisattva wannabe, and I want to benefit all sentient beings. Okay, so you use these things, but with an awareness uh, that they're not mine. They belong to the Buddha. Or in this case here, you've exchanged with others, so you're using things that mentally you've given to sentient beings, so they're not really yours. Yeah, This is very helpful, Yeah, because then if somebody steals your things... You just think, well, I gave it to all sentient beings and now somebody's taking it back. You know, it's theirs to start with. Yeah. You think you can do that? No? Try with a pencil or a pen. You know, somebody takes your pen. Your pen? The one on your desk that you use, that you adore because it doesn't skip and it still has ink in it. And somebody took it. Oh, no. I was looking for my pen. And some sentient being took it. Actually, she did me a favor. She threw it out because it wasn't working very well. But she took it and threw it out, and I'm the one who's supposed to throw it out. (laughs) Yeah? So, it's so fascinating when you stop and look. And you're going through the lunch line, and you look ahead, and it's like, oh, there's that brownie. I want that one. You know, there's a whole bunch of brownies together. But you like the one with the crust on it, or maybe you like the ones without the crust on it. Yeah, you like the ones that are taller or shorter, but you, ca- you out of the corner of your eye, you catch your brownie or your, your piece of cauliflower. Yeah, I want that piece of cauliflower, but there's a few people ahead of me in the lunch line. I hope they don't take that piece of cauliflower. It's my piece of cauliflower. Somebody just put it in their bowl. I was counting on that piece of cauliflower. I love I don't like the flimsy cauliflower. I want the big one that really looks like a flower. You know? 
I love eating cauliflower shaped like that, you know. And I want that brownie, you know, with the chocolate chips stick up on top, not with the chocolate chips buried on the bottom. You know, but somebody else took it. And then, you know, to to help you with your desperation, you know, you think, oh, well, I already gave it to all sentient beings. Yeah, so it was already their piece of cauliflower. It's already their brownie. And they're walking away with it. But I already gave it to them. I'm not attached. Any piece of cauliflower will do for me. <laughs> okay? So just just be aware. And see, you know, when when we really do the mandal offering, are when we do it, when we say those words, are we really giving everything to the Buddha? Yeah, or are we just, you know, this ground anointed with perfume, flowers strewn? Mount Meru, sun and moon. Oh, it's very sunny today. You know, are you really giving things away? Or are we just reciting something, not thinking about it? Okay. 160. I am happy, but others are sad. I am high, though others are low. I benefit myself, but not others. Yeah, we have those attitudes very much. What's the punchline? Why am I not envious of myself? Yeah? Because we, we envy somebody who's happy. We envy somebody who's high. We envy somebody who benefits who is being benefited. And if all those qualities apply to me, how come I'm not envious myself? Yeah. We don't even appreciate what we have, let alone be, en- let alone be envious of it. Do you, get, do you get what it's saying here? To turn and look what you have as if you're somebody else, and then instead of feeling sorry for yourself, being envious. Oh, that person got all this. They they got, you know, the time when you get the the beautiful piece of cauliflower, yeah, and you you get the brownie, then be envious of yourself. How come we're not? Yeah. Okay, 161. I must separate myself from happiness and take upon myself the suffering of others. Why am I doing this now? In this way, I should examine myself for faults. Okay. So now we're, you know, this verse is about Tonglen. Okay. I must separate myself from happiness, give my happiness to others, and take upon myself the suffering of others. Yeah. 
When we really think about this, do you want to do that? No. But people love the taking and giving meditation. Yeah. They love doing it. And they'll sit, you know, I feel so good after I do the taking and giving meditation. But I wonder, yeah, are they, you know, how, how much? I mean, it's good to do that and feel good afterwards. That's a step in the right direction. At least you're imagining taking on others' suffering and giving them your happiness. Yeah. But are we really doing the meditation? I mean, shouldn't it hit home and make us slightly uncomfortable so that we go back through all the meditations before that to cultivate love and compassion so that then when we do the Tonglen, maybe we actually want others to feel good. Yeah. Uh, just for example, the, the, uh, every spring I'm asked to give a, a talk to a class at Smith College. And the professor there uh, wants me to lead the taking and giving meditation for these students who know nothing about Buddhism. Yeah? And I told, I told the professor, I can't do that. You need a lot of preparation to actually do that meditation the way it's meant to be done. Yeah? But nowadays, it's kind of you know, it's not done that way. It's a kind of feel-good meditation. You know? But if you really think about it, you know, yeah, your self-centeredness comes roaring up. And especially when you imagine taking on the sickness of somebody else. And, oh, I don't want that. I'm afraid of that. And then then the teacher says, oh, it's okay, you can't really take it on. This is just an exercise to cultivate your love and compassion. So relax, you're not really going to get sick. Okay. Well, that's true. We can't experience the result of other people's karma, and that calms people's minds. But I don't know. I think that the really real point of that thing is, would I be willing to get sick so that somebody else could be well? Would I really be willing to exchange my good health and take on their, their illness? Yeah? Would I really be willing to do that? It's one thing to say it with your mouth. It's another thing to actually do it. Yeah? Like, I look, you know, kid, kidney transplants. You can give your kidney to somebody and you just live with one kidney. I think, oh, that's, that's so wonderful. Yeah, and people give up a kidney so that somebody else could live. You know, I'll do that. But I hope nobody needs my kidney. <laughs> I'm so glad you do that. And I want to do that, but uh, 
you know, sorry. <laughs> okay. No. Seems to me that, that we should, you know, this, this taking and giving should really make us uh, look. What it said before, you know, in a previous verse, to evaluate how much am I really working for others. Am I willing to even exchange my, you know, somebody else needs a replacement on dishes or on chores? Am I willing to exchange my chore for somebody else's? Yeah. And step in and do it. Oh, yes, of course. I'm a great team player, a great person. I will step in for you anytime. Just don't ask me. <laughs> yeah. But then, you know, as you uh, keep meditating, exchanging self with others, and think and loosen the grasping at oneself and see that we could uh, actually consider others' blood and sperm and food as my own and care about that in the same way as I care about my own. And the more you do that, then when you think, when you do the taking and giving meditation, it becomes easier when you really think of it. So, but it's interesting to see what things can you exchange when you do uh, Tonglen easily and what things do you get stuck on. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you my blanket and take your blanket, even though it has cooties. But I won't give you my uh, my uh, opportunity to go to certain teachings. Yeah. Quite interesting. Yeah. Because the mind says, but I'm going to others' teachings for the benefit of all beings. It's going to help me. Yes, but Is there some attachment to me going to those teachings? Okay. So, you know, and this verse says, I should examine myself for faults. You know, I say I want to exchange. And then... um, no. <laughs> but I have a real good reason. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want my blanket anyway. It's old. Yeah. So you don't you don't want my blanket. So I'm saving you from my blanket. Yeah. Anyway, if I give it to you, you won't appreciate that I've had this blanket since I was four years old. Yeah. And it has this sentimental reason for, you know, for me. Every time I look at the blanket, I think of 
mom and dad and dad and dad. Yeah. So I'll give you my new blanket. We always have reasons. 162. But what I'm getting at here is, you know, just think deeply about these things. And yes, you may decide to keep your own blanket. Okay, you may decide to keep your space at a teaching, but to be aware of what the motivation for doing that is. One sixty-two. Although others may do something wrong, may do something wrong, they always do something wrong. <laughs> you see how we rewrite the text? Although others may do something wrong, I should transform it into a fault of my own. Really, Shanti Deva, that's going too far. That's absolutely going too far. But should I do something even slightly wrong, I shall openly admit it to many people. That's definitely, uh-uh. Okay. It should read, though others may do something wrong, I will blame them for that and everything they haven't done wrong, too. That was actually my fault. But should I do something even slightly wrong, I shall cover it up and blame it on others. We want to uh, rewrite our own, our own chapter eight. <laughs> okay, but think of that, you know, although others may do something wrong, I should transform it into a fault of my own. You know, we have such aversion to being called out for making a mistake. Yeah, this is something quite, quite deep. I don't know, especially, I don't know if it's more in Westerners or, or if everybody has this to the equal, equal amount, Yeah. Because you know we're Americans, and so Americans are the best country in the world. We're exceptional. We we want. All, we're trying to help everybody have democracy and free. You know everything good, and uh, uh, we don't make mistakes. We're the land of the free and the home of the brave. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's incredible, you know, different countries have their own bit of nationalistic interest. Yeah. Okay, so even though others may do something wrong, I tra- should transform it into a fault of my own. They made a mistake. Yeah, I and I've been working with them. I can also see that maybe I was part of that mistake. I didn't give clear instructions, or I didn't respond when they asked a question, or whatever. Um, and there's no need. I feel no ego need 
to blame them, to put them down. Okay. Th so this, uh, you know, it calls into question what the role of a snitch is. Yeah? What is the role of a snitch? If you are in prison, yeah, and you're a snitch, well, you may get some perks from the admin, but you're also putting your own life in danger because the other people do not take well to snitches. Okay. But they did something wrong, so I should tell on them. Yeah. So do you tell on them or don't you? Yeah. If there's something going on in the prison, uh, you know, on your tier, and you know that some people are planning to jump somebody else, do you tell the authorities? Yeah. When you're in first grade and you see that, that there's one kid who's, being, who's bullying another kid, do you tell the teacher? Yeah, even that, though that kid may beat you up because you snitched. Huh. Okay. So, you know, telling on somebody else isn't transforming it into your own fault, okay, like it says here. But it is involving sacrificing your own safety, yeah, very often. And then you're told, no, don't go tell the teacher. Yeah, they threw sand at you, you throw sand back. Yeah. Our, our next-door neighbors threw rocks over the fence at us. Yeah, we weren't allowed to throw the rocks back. Okay, but should I do something even slightly wrong? I shall openly admit it to many people. Well, yes, at Posada, I admit that. Uh, what do I admit? Uh, uh, I admit that I wore leather shoes. <laughs> yeah. I admit that I wore lay clothes when I worked in the forest. Yeah. I admit maybe that I shook the hand of somebody else. But the real things I did that were not so good? I won't tell. But then, yeah, when you read the, the Pratimoksha, it says that if we don't openly admit things, it's lying. So do we want to lie to the Buddha? 
No, I'll tell the truth to the Buddha, but I won't tell it to any other living being around me because I don't want them to know what I did. Okay, and Nishandi Deva is saying, yeah, I shall openly admit it to many people. In other words, yeah, I did it. Probably most people know anyway. Yeah. So I should own up to it. And, and, you know, and if I feel, you know, embarrassed or I feel ashamed because I have to say that, then next time I want to do that behavior, I should think about it again. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's how the you know the posada is is organized, so that if you have to say what you did, it makes you think the next time before you do it. Do you have that? You know, do you wanna have to say again in front of other people that you did that? Yeah, so it help it helps restraint. Yeah, but then when we do do that to be able to be transparent and, uh, and realize, you know, trust the, our other Dharma friends and realize that they know that we're doing our best and we know they're doing their best. And they know that just because we blew it here doesn't mean we're an awful person. And just because we know they blew it there doesn't mean they're an awful person. Yeah, we say all that, but inside we beat ourselves up. Nobody else is beating me up, but I'm terrible. Look what I did. Look what I did. Yeah? It's, I don't want them to know because they'll think bad of me. But them thinking bad of me, you know, is nothing compared to what we do to ourselves. You know? Oh, I'm so terrible. So all of this is focused around, who's a focused around? Who's the star of all of this stuff? Yeah, it's all focused around our self-grasping and our self-centeredness. Huh? And you look, I mean, you just see how those two things run our lives. Totally run our lives. You know? And in the morning, we pay homage to the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. But before that, we pay homage to our self-grasping and our self-centeredness. Okay. So Shantideva is actually being quite kind to us in pointing all of this out. Yeah. Because he knows that these things are not inherent parts of who we are. Yeah, he knows that there are things that are uh, contrived by the afflictive mind, and he wants to help us uh, overcome them. But should I do something even slightly wrong, I shall openly admit it. 
to many people. That doesn't mean you have to send out an email to everybody on your list. Okay. It just means that, that you're relaxed about things and aren't so, what are people going to think about me? What am I going to think about myself? I was um, uh, part of a, a conference. This was right after I, I took Pichonia's uh, ordination. And uh, Fokon San was having a big Buddhist conference with people from different traditions. And uh, I happened to go. Um, I snuck in. I was, you know, I was the low-class one. I was very interesting. Lama Lundrup went, and then there was one monk, Venerable Neo went, and then there was me. Okay. Lama, during the course of that conference, uh, you know, because other people aren't so... Um, familiar with Tibetan terminology, Lama Lundrup became a Rinpoche, and uh, Neil became a Lama, and I remained <laughs> it was really interesting. We joked a lot about it. Anyway, so after the conference, they took us on a tour of some of the Dharma centers in, in Taiwan, and then at the very last center, there was an open, uh, you know, they had us all seated, and it was the closing ceremony. Okay? And so Master Shenyan called up some of the monks and nuns who were the chief organizers uh, who planned all this thing, which, my goodness, you know, it was really an endeavor to plan and organize all of this. So there's one nun standing there, and, and the master says, and she did this and this and this and this, and you know, she, you know, all she was the overhead thing, and very good, very responsible, you know. And everybody applauded her, and she looked very humble. And then there was, you know, somebody else, and oh, and this one did very, very, very well, and and organized that, and and so on, and. Everybody applauded them. And then the last one, one monk, and the master looked and said, that guy, he was a flake. You know, he had certain responsibility, and he just didn't do it. And that, that uh, monk was just standing there, taking all of this in, as his teacher humiliated him, in front of I don't know how many people. Yeah. And he just took it all in. And, you know, and then it was over. And I thought afterwards, I thought he was the real disciple of the teacher. Yeah. He was the, the real practitioner. Yeah. Because he could just take that, you know, in being, you know, deprecated in front of all these people. And he, he took it. And he wasn't upset. You could tell by his face. Yeah? That he's the practitioner. Yeah? Whereas us, yeah, we don't want to reveal anything negative about ourselves or have anybody say anything, even hinting that 
And in fact, we're so sensitive that even when people say things that are not deprecating us, we take it personally and we go, look what they said about me. Why are they criticizing me? There was somebody else who did this. Even though whoever did said that wasn't even talking about you. <laughs> we get upset. Okay. So by fur- 163, by further describing the renown of others, I should make it outshine my own. Just like the lowest kind of servant, I should employ myself for the benefit of all. Okay. So what are we told to do here? Describing the renown of others, praising others publicly. Yeah. What's the first bodhisattva root precept? Praising self and belittling others. Yeah, and it's referring specifically in Dharma activities. I'm such a good practitioner. I'm such a good teacher. I'm so knowledgeable. And you don't want to go to that teacher because they don't know anything and they're this. Okay? So that's, that's the first root bodhisattva transgression. Yeah? And, you know, what is that based on? Huh? I want to praise myself and belittle others, you know, because I really am best. And even if I'm not best, I want to look best. And I want the good things that come with being best. Yeah? Melania's big social welfare project, it was called Be Best, wasn't it? And I thought, no, that's not what you want to tell kids. Yeah, That my whole life is a competition with everybody else and I have to be best. Anyway, Melania and I have a few differences of opinion. Yeah. But she's beautiful, and I am not. You think that's beautiful? She looks so unhappy, doesn't she? Incredibly unhappy. Anyway, and their their son looks so unhappy. You never see a picture picture of that kid smiling. Okay. Anyway. By further describing the renown of others, I should make it outshine my own. I should praise them for all the things that they do better, that they do well, and that they do better than me. Yeah. Yeah. When we're very attached to our own reputation, when we don't really believe in ourselves, Asking ourselves to praise somebody else and make it outshine our own status is like pulling teeth. Yeah, we don't want to do it. Yeah. Can you imagine going to your boss at work and saying, you know, this person's really good. Yeah, they they should do this. 
never do that. But, you know, it's, it's so amazing how we take so much to heart all these social things, you know, what other people say about us, what other people think about us. We think that that's who we are. And we don't have any ability or very little ability to really evaluate ourselves and assess ourselves. So we're always looking for somebody else to tell us how wonderful we are. And it's actually very important for us to be able to know what our talents are and to know what we're good at. Because if we don't know them, how are we ever going to use them to benefit other sentient beings? If we always feel like we're a piece of junk, then we're never going to reach out and use our talents and abilities to help others. So putting ourselves down is actually being quite self-centered and selfish. Oh no, another reason to beat myself up. I'm so bad because I'm selfish. I'm so selfish because I... I can't evaluate myself and I take other people's words and that think that's... See, whatever way I look, I'm always bad. Well, congratulations. <laughs> you want a trophy? You want a trophy for being the worst person in the world? Well, yes, you know. <laughs> My trophy... I never won trophies, you know. Yeah, somebody else always got the ping-pong ball trophy. Somebody else always got the, what was it, history competition. Yeah, my high school didn't have history competition. We had math. Yeah, I did the math. But I can't remember any of it now. But don't tell anybody. Okay? So... You know, it's just so interesting how much we rely on other people to tell us who we are as if they know our motivations and they know what's going on in in us. We're the one who knows that. And we need to be honest and rejoice in our good qualities. Rejoice when we have... There's nothing wrong with rejoicing in your own good qualities. It's when you think that you're the best one and lord that over everybody else, that's not so good. But to acknowledge what your good qualities are, they're there, they're real, acknowledge them, and then use them to benefit others. Yeah, We think humility is putting ourselves down. That's, no, that's not the meaning of humility. Okay. Just like the lowest kind of servant, I should employ myself for the benefit of all. So now I am going to be, yeah. Well, the the way we interpret this is, well, now I'm just the scum of the earth. And I just, you know, always assume that I'm the kid who's never going to get chosen on the sports team. I'm always going to be the last one. 
And I just assume that, you know, I'm always, you know, it's not talking about that. This is all this exchanging self with others is really based on being able to evaluate ourselves and know what our good qualities are. Yeah. And, and know what our bad qualities are too. And being able to talk about both of them. Okay. So what Shantideva is doing is, you know, we're at this extreme. He wants to get us to the middle. He's expressing this extreme to get us to the middle. Okay. So we're saying, I'm the best one of others. And what we actually want to do is be able to acknowledge our own good qualities and use them. But we're doing, I'm the best one. So to get us over that, he says, no, now you look at yourself as the lowest one and you act like that, you know. And then that'll get you to maybe, you know, be able to just behave like a normal human being without putting yourself up or down. So just so it doesn't mean just like the lowest kind of servant. I shall employ myself for the benefit of others. You know, it's not talking about that. Okay? But we think like that to help us get over this other thing of I'm the best and other people should wait on me and take care of me. Okay? 164, I should not praise my naturally fault-ridden self. Now, wait a minute. You just told me that I should look at my good qualities and acknowledge them. And now you're telling me not to praise them because I'm naturally fault-ridden. Isn't that contradictory? Why isn't that contradictory? Hello? Hello? Hmm? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. They're both true. So why praise your naturally fault-ridden self? And yet you have good qualities, so why not acknowledge them, at least to yourself, and then use them? I should not praise my naturally fault-ridden self for some temporary good quality it may have. I shall never let even a few people know of any good qualities I may possess. So that's a little bit extreme. Yeah. If, you know, if, if the water pipe is broken and the water's flooding all over and you know how to fix it, this is not the time to say, I shall never let even a few people know of any good qualities I may possess. So I won't tell them I know how to fix it and I'll just let all the water run out of the tank. Yeah? <laughs> okay. We, we're very literal sometimes. <laughs> okay. But again, you know, okay, I have temporary good qualities. Yeah, my good qualities are not who I am. They're temporary. As I get older, I'm gonna, I won't be able to do what I did when I was younger, and I'll be able to do other things when I'm older. 
Yeah, like, like, like. <laughs> what? <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah, like sit there, you know? Yeah, you don't have ants in your pants anymore. You can actually sit still during your meditation. Yeah? You're not always having sexual fantasies. That's a really good quality of getting old. You know? It's like, phew, done with that. <laughs> okay? Yes, you can look forward to getting old. Um, okay. So, I shall never let even a few people know any good qualities I may possess. Now, if you know how to do something and people need that, volunteer. Yeah. But, see, what, what's difficult is to own our good qualities without being proud of them. Because we're so much taught, as we're raised as children in this culture, that when you do something well, you deserve an award. Yeah? And you deserve to be able to tell everybody about what your award is. And you should tell them because it makes your parents proud. You know, your parents want their, their friends to know that you passed your spelling test in first grade. You know, because that makes you college material. Yeah. So we're taught, you know, I should get an, some, you know, acclaim for everything I do well. And this is saying, no, you don't need acclaim for it. Yeah. You know it. You can use it. Okay. And then 165, in brief... Oh, in brief, maybe he's coming to the end of this section. I don't know. Yeah, but what's the next section going to contain? In brief, for the sake of living creatures, may all the harms I have selfishly caused others descend upon me. Now, that's only fair, isn't it? We're always saying it's not fair, it's not fair. But if we cause pain to others... It's fair, you know, that that should descend on us too. So taking the, doing the taking and giving meditation, yeah, and actively, you know, putting ourselves in challenging situations doesn't mean we have to do everything super challenging, but, you know, nudging our self-centeredness a bit, a bit, okay, um, so if thing, you know, it's only fair. Everybody else has vacuumed the, the floor, and I've always wiggled my way out of it. So now, you know, in the ordination ceremony, great, how does it start? Great, courageous one. How does it start? Wonderful. Great courageous one, you are able to know the world is impermanent 
Live the worldly life. Proceed to nirvana. This is fair and hard to comprehend and speak about. Yeah. So that's what we need to do. Be the great courageous ones. And see, you know, that any worldly prestige we have is impermanent. Yeah. And leave it and proceed to nirvana. Mm -hmm. So for the sake of living beings, may all the harms I have selfishly caused to others descend upon me. All of the times when I was mean to other people. Now, do you have things that you did in the past where you were really mean? Yeah, you've heard what I did to Rosie Knox in sixth grade. But I, I got repaid for that within two weeks. Yeah. For those of you who didn't have, no. In sixth grade, we had a group of six girls, yeah? And Rosie Knox was one of them. And I decided that I didn't like Rosie anymore, and she should be kicked out of the group. So I talked to the other girls, and we all agreed to kick her out of the group. And then a few weeks later, they kicked me out of the group. <laughs> yeah? So, for the sake of living beings, may all the harm I have selfishly caused to others descend upon me. Yeah. Unfortunately, I didn't think that way at that time. Yeah. But I should have. Because that was being fair. I was rotten and I got repaid for it in kind. Yeah. Okay. Question. What? I think they might have. I can't remember. They might have taken her back in. And then there was Peter Armetta. It's interesting to note to notice the names of which kids you went to grammar school with that you remember, and which kids' names who you don't remember. Yeah. All the ones who were mean to me, I remember. All the ones I was mean to, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. And kids can be so petty. Yeah? Were you petty and obnoxious in grade school? Oh, you weren't. No. You were the perfect child. Made your parents proud. <laughs> what? You were the class clown? No, you weren't. You were the A student. That's true. Huh? Yeah. Oh, you have to be everything. Okay. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Some people like you because you're smart, and they like you because you're a clown. But people also don't like you because you're smart, 
they're jealous, and they don't like you because you're a clown because you get more attention than them. So you can't win, can you? No. <laughs> ah, what suffering. Okay. Any other comments, questions, stories? Yes. I do have to admit that the taking and giving, I'm one of those kind of feel-good kind of persons for doing that. But the one times, the times that I really feel connected to it is when I'm really, really sick. When you're when really I'm really, really sick. And rather than getting into the self-pity, I think that there is so many people in the world that have what I have. And since I'm going to be in this miserable state, why don't I take it on? That's the one time that I can really feel connected to yeah. doing it willingly and then giving them whatever, whatever good health I've had or may have in the future. Yeah, That's really the only time. Every other time is more like feeling feeling good about myself. Yeah. Yeah. But when you're really sick to, to say, you know, I'm taking the sickness on. Because I'm going to be sick anyway. So why not take on the sickness of others? So I've um, realized there are some qualities that I could offer that I actually don't really because I don't anticipate getting a lot of praise for because them. Because you what? I don't anticipate getting a lot of praise. Oh. Because at the Abbey, you know, that's not really a thing. So that I noticed that was a big motivator when I was at work or at school. So you really get to see, oh, um, you know, how much do I contribute just out of the goodness of my heart and how much do I contribute just because I think I'm going to get some good feedback. Yeah. So that's uh, eye-opening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. I've seen the fear arise during the Tonglen with... If I take this on, then I no longer have a precious human life. So then I wouldn't be able to practice. And that being a block to like, I kind of get to the point where it's like, well, then what? Because if I, if I take on certain sicknesses and then I die earlier or certain impediments, that would make it quite... Seeing that people have big obstacles to being able to practice and then imagine taking that on, it's like, well, then... Yeah, I find the block in terms of like, well, then I, w- I would struggle to practice, so then what? And then I kind of get stuck in the meditation. Yeah. So how do you relate to people who do have that obstacle? Do you have compassion for them? Or do you look down? Or do you hold yourself up? I don't have that obstacle. Uh. So, something to think about. Okay, let's dedicate. So when we dedicate, we have to acknowledge that we did something virtuous. And we have to rejoice at it and then share the good energy. Okay? So you can't do the dedication verse by at the same time you're saying, I'm lousy. Well, I guess you could. Oh, I could have created 
4,000 merits, but I only created four. Yeah, show me what a merit looks like. Well, it's a little gold star that they put on your paper. Yeah, when you get an AE yeah, in my school, AE, you, know, you got an A, but excellent. Yes, you didn't make any mistakes. Aren't you proud of yourself? Your parents are proud of you. Your younger siblings are jealous because now they have to live up to what you've done. So, yeah. Okay. You ready to dedicate? Do you have something to dedicate? Are you really? Are we really going to offer everything to the Buddha when we do the mandala offering? 